0: Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to continue with our search for truth as we investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God. We've been pointing out consistently in this series of programs dedicated to the kingdom of God that Jesus was a first-century Jew, that the Bible is essentially a Jewish book. All of the writers of Scripture, as we have it, were Jews, with the probable exception of Luke, the only Gentile in the many writers of Scripture. The Bible, in fact, is a library of books put together over a period of some fifteen hundred years. The writers of the Hebrew Bible, what we rather regrettedly call the Old Testament, were all from the Israelite people. They were Jewish people, if you like, bound by a common idea of what God was working out by way of his grand scheme, for the restoration of mankind and peace on the earth. The eight New Testament writers, those who put together that little library of books we call the New Testament, which is simply a development and climax of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, those eight writers of the New Testament were all Jews, with the probable exception of Luke. And Luke was as Jewish oriented as any of them. He loved the Jewish people, he loved the Jewish revelation. Contained in the books of the Hebrew Bible, which was incidentally also the Bible on which Jesus was trained and reared, it's essential if we're to understand Jesus and to make a relationship with him on the basis of a common mind, his spirit joining our spirit. It's essential that we think like Jesus, first Corinthians six and verse seventeen, Paul said that he who is joined to Christ is one spirit with him, and in First Corinthians two verse sixteen Paul spoke of Christians enjoying the fact that they have the same mind as the Messiah. In order to develop that mind, we must study and examine and imbibe the teachings of Jesus. You remember how Paul exhorted us in Colossians 3, verse 16, to have the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. Jesus' message, that is, his gospel message of the kingdom of God, with all that that entails, must dwell in us richly. That takes study, that takes meditation, it takes pondering over the word and the words of Jesus, but the rewards are rich in terms of excitement over God's great plan, involvement in Jesus' work, of the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. This gospel, Jesus said, of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached in the entire world before the end of the age will come. Matthew 24, verse 14. We've been stressing the fact that there's only one way out of death, and that's via resurrection at the second coming of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23 is a key verse for all Christians. It gives us a marvelous revelation in regard to God's program of the future. Those who are Christians will be resurrected from death at the seventh trumpet, Those who belong to Christ, Paul said there, will be raised from death at Christ's future coming, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. Now, if it's true that when you die, you sleep in the sleep of death until the resurrection, it must be clear that the only way that we can come actually into the presence of Jesus is at the resurrection to occur when he returns, and that's exactly what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13, Paul described how it is that Christians are to come face to face with Jesus via resurrection. You notice that it's nothing to do with departing to be a disembodied soul at death that Paul describes here. He's describing the second coming of Jesus and how it is that we can be with the Lord only at that second coming and not before. In verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul said, We do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed or ignorant about those who are asleep. That's to say, the dead Christians, those Christians who have fallen asleep in the sleep of death. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, so that you may not grieve as do the rest, the rest of mankind outside the Christian circle, who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and I pause there to point out that the model for our future hope of resurrection is the resurrection of Jesus himself. And so Paul says here, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you notice that Jesus died, went to Hades, the place of the dead, and then rose from death. If we believe that he died and rose again, So, in the same way, God will bring to life those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14, and I was reading there from the New English Bible translation, which captures the sense of that verse much better than some other translations. Some translations render that, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Now, I have to point out to you, that's nothing to do with Jesus bringing disembodied souls out of heaven to join their bodies. The correct translation there, the translation which captures the sense properly, is given in the New English Bible. God will bring to life with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And now Paul goes on to explain the detail of this tremendous event. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that's to say, on the authority of Jesus' own message. We Christians who are alive, Paul says, and remain until the coming, the future coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And you notice that Paul there refers to the Christians who have fallen asleep in death. What's going to happen to them? Well, verse 16 explains it. The Lord himself, the Lord Jesus, that is, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And then the dead in Christ shall rise first. You see there the exact parallel between the death and the resurrection of Jesus, referred to by Paul in verse 14, and the future rising from the dead of all the Christians. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and surviving and remaining will be caught up together with them. That's to say, the Christians who will have risen from death at that same time will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and in this way we shall always be with the Lord. Notice carefully that Paul gave us the detail here of how it's possible to come to be with the Lord in this way, we shall come to be in the presence of Jesus. And how is that to be? Only via resurrection. And if you're surviving as a Christian when Christ returns, you'll be caught up to meet the Lord as He descends towards the earth. As with a famous visitor or guest, you go out to meet Him. He's on His way to the earth. His feet will stand in that day on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 14 verse 4 says. And so you see, Jesus is coming in the direction of the earth. The saints will be raised from death. The surviving Christians will be caught up together with him to meet Jesus as he comes towards the earth. They will join him and descend to the earth with him. Now, Jesus is coming back to stay. It's his second coming that Christians are looking forward to, not a visit simply to whisk people away to heaven. That would be to keep Jesus off the earth, to keep him out of the kingdom that he's going to administer on the earth. Revelation 5 verse 10 says that the Christians are going to reign as kings with Christ, of course, on the earth. They're not going to be in heaven. And so to describe the second coming as a temporary visit by which Jesus whisks people off the earth to heaven is to make a considerable nonsense of the whole of that great event. Christianity, you see, is a faith which offers its followers positions of rulership with Messiah in the great messianic kingdom to be established and inaugurated by Jesus when he returns to this earth to take up his rightful position on the throne of David in Jerusalem. It is in this way, via resurrection only, that we can come into the presence of the Lord. That's what Paul clearly stated in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17. Now, some have thought that a passage in John contradicts this plain teaching given by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4. In John 14, Jesus said, Do not be afraid. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I note in passing that Jesus distinguishes himself from the one God by saying that we're not to be afraid. We're to believe in God and also, in addition to believing in God, we're to believe in Jesus Christ. In God's house there are many dwelling places. Jesus is going ahead to prepare a place for us. Now, some have thought that that must mean that we're to go to heaven, but you see, the Father's house is the temple. It's the temple in which Christians are going to dwell on the earth, in the temple, in the future kingdom. Jesus here stated his intention, two thousand years ago now, to depart to heaven in order to prepare a place for us, and then Jesus said in John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am at that time in the future, there you may be also. Now where is Jesus going to be in the future? well, he's coming again to the earth, and it must be obvious then that he's going to be on the earth and we'll be with him on the earth. If Revelation 5 verse 10 is taken seriously, it becomes quite clear that the location of the saints and Jesus in the future will be on the earth. Revelation 5 verse 10 states very clearly that the saints of all the ages and all the nations are going to be gathered into one group of kings and priests, and they are going to rule upon the earth. Well, if Jesus is going to be where we are, and we are going to be where Jesus is, it must follow logically that Jesus will be on the earth. And that's exactly what Zechariah 14 verse 4 says. That verse states that the Messiah will be present on the Mount of Olives at the day of the Lord, at his second coming in the future and so Jesus is preparing a place for us in the future kingdom. No wonder then he said in Matthew 25 and verse 34, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now Jesus, when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, is also involved in the preparation of places for the saints in the future kingdom of God on the earth, Blessed are the meek, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 5, they're going to inherit the land, that's to say, the promised land. Abraham, you remember, in Hebrews 11, verses 8 and 9, lived in the promised land, the land of the promise, without ever owning it. But he lived, not in heaven, of course, but in the land of the promise. And it's in the land of the promise, the promised land, that the kingdom of God will be established. Listen to these marvelous words in Zechariah chapter 2 verse 10. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, that is to say, Jerusalem, geographical Jerusalem, on this earth. Behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day, and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Did you catch that? The Lord will possess Judah as his portion at that future day, and it will be in the Holy Land that the Lord will choose Judah, and he will again choose Jerusalem. The Holy Land, then, is to be the place of salvation, the place of glory and the blessedness of the saints, The saints will dwell indeed in the renewed land of Palestine with Jesus. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom. Join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel of the kingdom of God.